Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing multiple murders. Anyone discussed as a suspect is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. The details may be triggering for some listeners. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. Hello, everyone. This week, I am flying solo. Uh, Brie has decided to take a little bit of a break, um, but I'm going to be telling the story of the Gilgo Beach murders this week. Long Island in New York State is situated by the piece of the Atlantic Ocean that comprises the southeasternmost part of New York State. The island lies roughly parallel to the southern shore of Connecticut, from which it is separated but to the north by Long Island Sound. Long Island's western end forms part of the harbor of New York City, and the island has four counties. From west to east, they are Kings, Queens, Nassau, and Suffolk County. The town of Babylon on Long Island is home to Gilgo Beach. Gilgo Beach is one of the town's three ocean beaches on the Atlantic Ocean. From pictures, the area looks beautiful. Like with a lot of places around the world, Gilgo Beach uh, has a huge shadow lurking over it and has for more than 12 years now. More than an unsolved mystery, the case of the Long Island serial killer has been an investigation with next to no visible movement, basically a procedure that even the police at times seem to want no part of. It began with the discovery of four bodies wrapped in burlap and discarded on a desolate stretch of Ocean Parkway near Gilgo Beach. All of the victims were women, and all had been escorts on Craigslist. So the four was only the first of several grisly discoveries. Within months, the remains of as many as 16 victims had been found. From Gilgo Beach stretching out east to the Pine Barrens of Manorville, and yet for over a decade the police have announced not a single suspect or person of interest. Months had passed, then years, with no comment from the department about the case at all. I want to start with the murder of Shannon Gilbert because really there might never have been a known Long Island serial killer case if it hadn't been for Shannon. Um, Shannon Gilbert disappeared on May 1st, 2010, during an escort job in Oak Beach, which is a gated community on Long Island's South Shore, three miles from Gilgo Beach. Her disappearance didn't make the news at the time, despite her family's best efforts to get her treated as a missing person, the police said, there was little to be done, even after it came out that Sir Shannon had made a 911 call that night during which she insisted someone was trying to kill her. Though Shannon's case is different from the bodies that were found along Ocean Parkway, and her death was ruled to be non-criminal. Quote, based on the evidence, the facts, and the totality of circumstances, the prevailing opinion in Shannon's death, while tragic, was not a murder and was most likely non-criminal. Um, they say that she had drowned in the swampy area. I would like to play just a little clip of the 911 call. She made actually four 911 calls that night. Um, but I'm going to play a little kind of blended clip just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about and why it's still very suspicious to me. Hey, please, Trooper Fry. State police. Yeah, there's somebody after me. I'm sorry? There's somebody after me. Where are you? There's somebody after me. Okay, where are you? 
Absolutely. Where are you, ma'am? I don't know. Are you driving right now? No, I'm inside the house. I'm sorry? I'm inside the house. What house? I don't know. Can you trace where I am? I'm sorry? Can you trace where I am? No, I can't. What's your callback number you're calling from? Huh? What phone number are you calling from? What is that to me? Are you in Suffolk County or Nassau County? Um, I'm on Long Island. Where on Long Island are you? to make three additional 911 calls. Um, some she was outside, she was running. Um, police have said that she, the, the male voice that you heard knew her. And then in other 911 calls, she referred to him in first person um, as Mike. So she knew him too. Um, I, I mentioned something in a little while about Shannon's sister having schizophrenia. So, I mean, this could be something where she just didn't know where she was or maybe drug-induced or the police have a reason for not ruling her death as a homicide. It was considered accidental, drowning. Um, but in any case, it's sad. Um, it's hard. I feel like there's reason to believe that she may have been a victim of this killer. But... Um, if the manner of death and other evidence points to non-criminal, the fear we can hear in her voice may be coincidental. And also, if you're in a, a psychotic break or something, then you're um, a lot of people experience fear in that too. Um, possibly, though, she escaped from whoever was after her, but maybe got lost, becoming injured, um, passed away, drowning in the swamp, like I said. In my opinion, though, this wouldn't be non-criminal because if it hadn't been for the person chasing her, she wouldn't have been in that position to begin with. Like I said, it's very sad. But her remains were found on December 13th, 2011, in a swampy Oak Beach marsh uh, about 18 months after she went missing. Investigators discovered Gilbert's body about a half a mile from where she was last seen. She was found in a swamp rampant with uh, thorny bush, and police said at the time they believed that uh, she had drowned um, by accident. 
Later, an independent autopsy by the renowned forensic pathologist Michael Baden found Gilbert had suffered injuries consistent with homicidal strangulation. This means that her thyroid bone was fractured in the front of her neck, but police have consistently said they do not believe her death is linked to the Long Island serial killer case. Shannon's mother, Mary, refused to let the case drop out of the public eye and pressed law enforcement for a homicide investigation that never came. Mary Gilbert died in July 16th, uh, 2016. She was stabbed to death by her other daughter, uh, Shannon's sister, Sarah, who suffers from schizophrenia also. So Shannon's case was basically forgotten about for several months until the Suffolk County police discovered four bodies draped in burlap along the side of Ocean Parkway, three miles from where Shannon was last seen alive. In early 2011, these four victims were identified by DNA, the first being Maureen Brainard Barnes. Um, Just a side note here, all of these women were in their 20s and they were all working as escorts. They all came from towns outside of New York, and they all engaged in sex work to pay bills or to escape one life or event, invent a new one. Suffolk police said that Brainerd Barnes, believed to be the first victim among the Gilgo Fort, was a 25-year-old living in Norwich, Connecticut, when she went missing. They said it was believed she took an Amtrak train from New London to New York City on July 6, 2007. She spent her time in the city working as a prostitute, advertising on Craigslist, Backpage, and other sites under names like Juliana or Mary or Marie, as she stayed at a Super 8 motel on West 46th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue. Brainerd Barnes, who stood just under 5 feet tall, would travel to Manhattan for work a few nights before going back home to Connecticut, according to the investigators. While in the city, she also stayed at the Red Roof Inn on West 32nd, the Carter Hotel on West 43rd, and the Manhattan Hotel on 8th Ave. Sometimes she would be with another woman, who was a friend who worked out of a different hotel room, and a man who both women referred to as their cousin, police said. The man would provide a level of security for the sex workers, um, but she traveled with the other women to the city the weekend she went missing, but the woman went back home early. On July 9th, she called a friend back in Connecticut just minutes before midnight, telling them that she was going to meet someone outside of the motel, which was not her typical operating procedure. Um, Five days later, a friend reported her missing to police in Connecticut, and soon the New York Police Department took over the investigation. More than three years later, on December 13th, 2010, her body was found um, on the north side of Ocean Parkway near that Gilgo Beach during the police search for Shannon. So moving on to the next victim, Melissa Bartholomew. Um, Melissa went missing when she was 24 on July 12th, 2009, after she was last seen at her basement apartment on Underhill Avenue in the Unionport section of the Bronx, investigators said. The 4'10 escort advertised uh, on Adult Friend Finder and other sites, often using aliases like Chloe and Very Sexy Chloe, and had the words Blaze and Focus tattooed on her back, along with letters on her chest. Melissa, who was said to meet her clients at bars, restaurants, and hotels on Manhattan's west side, 
told a friend the night she went missing that she was going to meet a man and would be back in the morning. The friend knew uh, Melissa was an escort, but didn't know any other details about the meetup that night. After not hearing from her or being able to reach her for a few days, Melissa's mother reported her missing to the New York Police Department on July 18th. Cell phone records show that Melissa went from the Bronx to Manhattan, likely in a taxi on the night of July 12th, an investigation that revealed that her cell phone signal was picked up in Long Island towns of Freeport, Massapeka, and Lindenhurst. Suffolk police said that Melissa's sister got a series of taunting phone calls from an individual using her cell phone after she went missing. The calls are believed to have come from her killer. The calls were made from an area near the Port Authority bus terminal in Manhattan and near Penn Station. Authorities looked into the areas but were unable to establish any leads due to heavy car and foot traffic nearby. Melissa's body was found almost a year and a half later on December 11, 2010. While she was the first victim found, police believe she was actually the second one killed. Um, the next victim is Megan Waterman. The 22-year-old Megan was a resident of Scarrow, Maine. Uh, she was a sex worker who also utilized the same websites as the other victims. Um, she would use the names Lexi and Sexy Lexi. Her family watched her board a New York-bound bus in Maine, not knowing that that would be the last time they would ever see her. While she was known to stay at a variety of hotels and motels on Long Island, including the extended stay America in Bethpage, Waterman was said to be staying at the Holiday Inn Express on June 6, 2010. She left around 1.30 a.m. that day to meet a client but told her pimp, who was in Brooklyn at the time, that she was going to a convenience store near the hotel. Family reported her missing to police in Maine on June 8th after they said it was unlike her not to call and check in on her then three-year-old daughter. The Scarborough Police contacted the Suffolk Police Department to assist in the investigation, and her body was found on December 13th that same year. Investigators believe that she was the third of the Gilgal Four victims. Her pimp was later arrested and convicted on interstate trafficking charges, spending three years in federal prison in January 2013. However, there is no indication he had any knowledge or participated in any way in her death. In April 2022, the police released the last known surveillance video of Melissa at the Holiday Inn Express in Hopog. The footage shows multiple angles from the lobby on June 4th, 5th, and 6th of that year. Uh, she was wearing a yellow sweater and is shown both arriving and leaving the hotel. The police said investigators believe that um, Melissa left the Holiday Inn the night of June 6th, 2010, and met her killer. The investigators also shared an image of jewelry discovered on the remains of a toddler whose bones were recovered during the investigation. So the next victim is Amber Lynn Costello, the oldest of the Gilgo Four victims. She was 27 years old when she went missing in September 2010, having last been seen by acquaintances the investigation found. She had multiple tattoos, including chaos on her neck and a butterfly on her lower back and the name Margaret on her leg. Amber was addicted to heroin at the time and was living in West Babylon on Long Island with another woman and two men, each of whom were similarly addicted to drugs. 
In order to support their collective addiction, Amber and the other women advertised as sex workers on Craigslist and Backpage. Amber used the names Carolina and Mia. She had moved to New York from Clearwater, Florida, and completed a 28-day drug rehab program. Um, Police believed that she had relapsed before going missing. She had shared a cell phone with her roommates. Amber and the others would arrange dates with clients, doing both in-calls at the house and out-calls elsewhere. Police say that the roommates uh, concocted a scam for the clients who came to the house, as after money had already been exchanged, one of the male roommates would burst in and say that Amber was his girlfriend and be angry and basically forcing the client to take off leaving uh, with his money or without his money and without the services he had paid for. Amber was last seen leaving the home uh, on American Avenue on September 2nd, 2010, going to meet a client who was picking her up at the house. Amber didn't have a cell phone on her at the time, and she was never reported missing. On December 13th, during the same search for Shannon, um, Amber's body was found on the north side of Ocean Parkway. So the bodies of the Gilgo Four had been dumped in burlap sacks within a quarter mile span, about 500 feet apart on a desolate stretch of the Ocean Parkway. Like I said before, it was the disappearance of Shannon who who led to the discovery of these other four sets of human remains. But a total of 10 sets of human remains were found by the spring of 2011. In April 2011, authorities found a partially dismembered woman, later identified as another prostitute, Jessica Taylor, um, an unidentified Asian male who had been dressed as a woman, two unidentified women, and an unidentified female toddler. The toddler was determined through DNA testing to be the daughter of a woman discovered about seven miles away. They have not been publicly identified. The case went as cold as cold could be over the years, with the exception of information released in 2020 by officials regarding a belt found at one of the dump sites that police believe the killer had quote-unquote handled. No information was made available to the public, um, but there had been strong rumors that police would be utilizing genealogical DNA testing to help identify a suspect, but nothing official was released. Then, almost out of the blue, on Friday, July 14th, 2023, so just a few days ago, police announced the arrest of 59-year-old Rex Howerman. Howerman is the owner and founder of a midtown architecture firm, RH Consultants and Associates. He was born and raised on Long Island. Early Friday morning, police were seen removing items from the suspect's house in Massapeka, including a large cooler at one point. The town of Massapeka had long been the focus of the investigation, as Long Island serial killer reportedly harassed the family of Melissa Bartholomew following her 2009 disappearance, calling and texting them using Melissa's phone. According to the New York Post in 2011, Police ultimately triangulated the killer's calls to her family with the cell phone pinging in both Manhattan, in the vicinity of Times Square and Madison Square Garden, and Massapeka. The suspect's firm where he worked is located in Manhattan. So as I go forward, I'm going to say, I'm going to call this dude Rex, and it's not, I'm not trying to show him any kind of um, informality or anything like that. It's just saying his last name. I don't know, for whatever reason, it's hard for me. So I'm calling him Rex. I still think he's a piece of, you know what, but 
Um, so who is this Rex? He's 59 years old. He's married and he has two children. Um, they're both adults at this point. His job, like I said, was described as an architectural consultant in New York City. He provided services to city agencies, builders, and owners of buildings in regards to state codes and uh, zoning consult consultation at times. Um, some of his neighbors were approached for an interview. Uh, one person said that the guy was very quiet. He never really bothered anybody. We were kind of shocked. Another person said it was weird. He looked like a businessman, but his house is a dump. I think this is pretty common, though, any time that a serial killer or somebody that's accused of doing monstrous things is found, his friends, his colleagues, his neighbors, they all say, I'm, I'm totally shocked. You know, there might have been this or that, but we had no idea. So, I mean, that's, I think, to be expected for the most part. I think coming over the next few weeks and months and maybe even years, we'll, we'll learn more about his private life and things that he may have done or said that were peculiar that nobody thought anything of. But in any case, going back um, just a little bit, um, other than the four we already talked about, like I said, oh, plus Shannon Gilbert, uh, we talked about the Asian male, the female toddler, the mom. Some body parts were found near Gilgo Beach as well. as They were scattered at other distant locations. None of the murders have been solved for many years. So about eight years later, after the discovery of the dismembered remains on January 16th, 2020, police released a photo of a black leather belt. Um, like I said before, the, the belt had the initials either WH or HM, depending on which way was turned up. It was just like a chunk of the belt. So they didn't know which was the right way up. I'm sure most people are wondering if there's somebody in this Rex's family who has a first name that starts with W or some other significance, but the police released this image because they believe that the belt was handled by the suspect. And the police also created a website, gilgonews.com, to get more information and where people could easily leave tips. So I'm going to take a few minutes at this point because Rex made his first court appearance Friday afternoon. And at that point, after that court appearance, um, the district attorney did a press conference and they ended up releasing the probable cause affidavit. So I'm going to take a few minutes to go over the PCA right now. Uh, more just the highlights for those of you who don't have time or don't like reading this kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of evidence pointing to this guy's guilt. Of course, we will say that, again, he's presumed innocent until his trial is over or whatever happens and it's a done deal. Um, but the document we are going to review is actually titled the Rex Harriman Bail Application. It started out with, um, it says, Defendant Rex A. Harriman standing before this court charged by the grand jury with murder in the first degree and murder in the second degree of the following three victims. Melissa Bartholomew on or about July 10th, 2009. Megan Waterman on or about June 6th, 2010. Amber Costello, on or about September 2nd, 2010. And then there's a side note, the fourth victim, Maureen Bernard Barnes. The document states that although Rex is not yet charged with her murder, he's the prime suspect in her death, and the investigation is expected to be resolved soon. So on December 11th, 2010, police conducted a training exercise with canine dogs in the Gilgo Beach, Suffolk County, New York area. They located the remains of Melissa. Two days later, found three more human remains, 
within a quarter mile of the first discovery. Those bodies, again, were Maureen, Megan, and Amber, and the cause of their deaths was homicidal violence. The victims were all placed close to one another, 22 to 33 feet from the edge of the parkway. They were all very petite females, approximately 20 to 27 years old. They were all sex workers and all had missing clothing and personal possessions. They all had contact shortly before their disappearances with a person using a burner cell phone. These phones are phones without an associated verified identity, um, so you buy minutes for them, and the phones of Maureen and Melissa were also used by their killer after their deaths to either check their voicemail or taunt their families. Rex, like, he's a total piece of shit. We get into it, but my God, this guy is next level. So all four victims were found similarly positioned, bound in a similar fashion by either belts or tape, with three of the victims found wrapped in a burlap-type material. And people think of burlap, what we, you know, wrap the bottom of cedar trees or whatever and gardening stuff. This wasn't it. This this burlap material is actually used for duck blinds and hunting, apparently, from what I understand now. Rex is only charged with the three of the murders, but like the document said earlier, it's likely he will be charged with the fourth. However, there's a lot of other dead bodies around the same general area. Victim number five is Jessica Taylor, who was found in 2011. Uh, Victims six and seven were found up the road quite a ways, Valerie Mack and a toddler. Victim number eight is the Asian male who is dressed in women's clothing. He's not been identified publicly. I don't know if they actually know who he was, but he hasn't been identified publicly. The next section in the document review, uh, we'll go over the uh, recent investigation that started about a year and a half ago. Uh, The Suffolk County District Attorney's Office assigned a team of investigators, analysts, and prosecutors to work with the police department, um, and not to mention the Sheriff's Office and FBI. A few months later, on March 14th, 2022, there is a discovery of a first-generation Chevrolet Avalanche, which is a truck with kind of a unique look to it, um, that was registered to Rex at the time of these murders. A witness to the disappearance of Amber Costello identified a first-generation Chevy Avalanche as the vehicle that had been driven by her killer. This discovery led to an investigation of wrecks, which consisted of over 300 subpoenas, search warrants, and other legal processes to obtain evidence. So next in the document, they detail some items uncovered, like Rex's cell phone billing records corresponding to cell site locations, The burner phones used to arrange meetings with all three of the victims. Uh, The taunting calls made to a relative of Melissa, which I've come to find out the the relative was her younger sister, um, who was a minor at the time. She was just a young teenager at the time. And a call made by a detective to Melissa's cell phone while looking into her disappearance. And finally, a number of calls Uh, checking voicemail on Maureen's cell phone after her disappearance. Now, we know Rex lived in Massapequa Park, uh, where the victims were believed to have disappeared from, and he also worked in midtown Manhattan in the vicinity where the taunting calls were made to Melissa's sister. Rex used the burner phones to communicate with each victim and used the phones of Maureen and Melissa after their deaths. 
both wrecks, and these burner cell phones had significant connections to both Midtown Manhattan and Massapequa Park. Next up on the document, it details the disappearance and murder of Maureen Banner Barnes. And I'm actually going to read directly from the PCA because like we already went over the disappearances and murders of these women, but now this is kind of going through uh, the phone records and how police were able to connect him. So this is directly from the PCA. So in the document, it details the disappearance and murder of Maureen Baynard Barnes. On July 6, 2007, Maureen's phone was contacted by a burner phone. Three days later, Maureen was last seen in New York City, where she was believed to be a sex worker. Between July 6th and July 9th, 2007, there were 16 interactions between a burner phone and Maureen's phone. On July 9th, 2007, the last cell site location for Maureen's phone was at 11.56 p.m. in Midtown Manhattan, near the 59th Street Bridge. Her phone then had no activity until July 12th, when the outbound calls were made from her phone. Checking her voicemail from a cell site location near Long Island Expressway and Islandia. Next up is a recap of the disappearance and murder of Melissa Bartholomew. On July 3rd, 2009, Melissa was contacted by a burner phone, then again on July 6th, 9th, and 10th. So on July 10th, Melissa was last seen in New York City, where she was believed to be a sex worker. Cell site records indicate a burner phone travel from Massapequa to Midtown Manhattan. Later that evening, Melissa's phone traveled from in-town Manhattan back to Massapequa, with the last cell site location being Massapequa on July 11th at approximately 1.43 a.m. Later that day, Melissa's phone was used to check her voicemail from a cell site location in Freeport. On both July 11th and 12th, Melissa's phone made two more calls checking her voicemail from a cell site locations in Babylon. On July 17th and 23rd, as well as August 5th, 19th, and 26th in 2009, her phone made taunting calls to her family members, some of which resulted in a conversation between a male caller and a relative of Melissa's in which he admitted killing and sexually assaulting her. The cell site locations of her phone during these taunting calls were all in Midtown Manhattan. Next up is the disappearance and murder of Megan Waterman. On July 5th, 2010, Megan's phone was contacted by a burner phone, which had been activated that same day. So later that night, June 6th at 1.30 a.m., Megan was last seen at the Holiday Inn Hotel in Hapag, New York, where she is believed to be a sex worker. At 1.31 a.m., her phone communicated with this burner phone around the time Megan was captured on video exiting the Holiday Inn. Following that communication, the burner phone had no further activity. However, cell phone records show her phone traveled from Massapequa with the last location at approximately 3.11 a.m. in the vicinity of Rex's home. Next up is the disappearance and murder of Amber Costello. On September 1, 2010, Amber's phone was contacted by a burner phone at 11.33 and 11.34 p.m., the burner phone was connected in West Amityville in Massapequa Park, then traveled to West Babylon near Amber's home and had contact with her phone at 12.05 a.m. on September 2nd, which was the last time Amber was seen alive, leaving her home. 
She is also a sex worker who met some of her male clients at a home she shared with a woman and two men. It is believed that these roommates were some of the witnesses who said that the prostitution client showed up at Amber's home after the client entered a ruse that was executed on the client whereby a man pretended to be the outraged boyfriend of Amber um, would burst in and basically say, what are you doing with my girlfriend? The client would leave um, while Amber kept the money that he gave her for her services. Um, This seems to be a recurring scam that they would do. Her roommate described him as a large white male, six foot four to six foot six, in his mid forties with dark bushy hair and a big oval or sorry, big oval style nineteen seventies type eyeglasses, and a first generation Chevrolet Avalanche parked in the driveway of the home. A witness described him to police as appearing like an ogre. The unknown client told her roommate, the the supposed boyfriend, that he was just her friend and then he walked out the front door at 1.18 a.m. The burner phone located in Massapeka Park texted Amber, quote, that was not nice, so do I get a credit for next time, unquote. Later on September 2nd, a witness said Amber was contacted by the same client. That witness said Amber told us that he wanted to see her again, but he didn't want to come to the house because of her boyfriend. So September 2nd at 9.32 p.m., the burner phone communicated with Amber from Midtown, Manhattan. The burner phone traveled to Massapeka Park and had contact with Amber at 10.39 and 11.05 p.m. At 11.17 p.m., the phone traveled to West Babylon near Amber's home, but Amber left her phone behind and exited her home and was last seen alive for the last time, shortly before a witness observed a dark-colored truck pass the house specifically coming from the direction Amber had walked towards. Another interesting side note of this uh, whole case and document is that Rex's wife was out of New York for the disappearance of Melissa, Megan, and Amber. From July 8th to the 18th, his wife was in Iceland, and Melissa was killed around July 10th, um, which is two days after his wife left. Between June 4th and the 8th in 2010, his wife was in Maryland and Megan was killed uh, June 6th. And then between August 28th and September 5th, 2010, Rex's wife was in New Jersey and Amber was killed on or about September 2nd. Um, No records could be obtained for his wife for 2007 when Maureen went missing around July 9th, but very, very suspicious. Um, So the next section in the document had cellular billing records for Rex. During the murders, Rex owned an architectural business in Midtown Manhattan, and this business was named, or sorry, was the named subscriber of of his regular cell phone, which was active during the times of the victim's disappearances and was subscribed to his home address in Massapeka Park. Unfortunately, cell site records from that time no longer exist, but billing records show general location information for his phone. A review of these, plus his American Express card or credit card records, show numerous instances where Rex was located in the same general locations as a burner phone uh, while it was used to contact the three women he's charged with killing, as well as the use of two victims' phones when they were used to check voicemail and to make those taunting phone calls to uh, the little sister after their disappearance. 
Investigators could find no instance where Rex was in a separate location from these other phones. When such a communication event occurred, the document lists uh, various examples of how Rex's normal phone was determined to be in the same area as his burner phone and the victim's phones on multiple occasions. The document then goes into more detailed information about his burner phones. Uh, basically, the summary of this entire section, guys, is that this, there's a pile of evidence and this dude, in my humble opinion, is guilty. So thousands of search. So there are also like email addresses found to be connected to Rex um, and thousands of searches related to sex workers, as well as sadistic and torture related adult movies and child sexual abuse materials were tracked on this phone. Like they were able to go back and see his Google searches and stuff. And honestly, like I can't even believe some of the things that he searched. Um, it's going to be a little bit hard for me to get through. You might want to skip ahead maybe 20 or 30 seconds or so. Um, and huge trigger warning here. Some of these searches are pretty disturbing to say the least. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go over some of them again, trigger warning here. So he searched for mistress, Long Island, mature escorts, Manhattan girl begging for rape porn. Teen begging for rape porn. Pretty girl with bruised face porn. Torture redhead porn. Ten-year-old schoolgirl. Hente plump pussy lips cut off porn. Skinny redhead tied up porn. Short fat girl tied up porn. Tied up and rape porn. Asian tween tied up porn. Tied slicks. Sorry. Tied slave force-fed cock, cum shot and crying porn, girl hog-tied torture porn, ten-year-old blonde-haired girl porn, chubby ten-year-old girl, black girl ten years old, girl with face beat up, ten-year-old girl crying, thirteen-year-old schoolgirl. These are like there's more, but I'm I'm gonna stop there. Uh, I'm going to link the PCA in the show notes, but just so you know, like it, it's been redacted now. It's so graphic. It's been redacted now. I don't want to get into trouble for releasing the unredacted copy. Um, I'm sure that the courts are responsible for having it ordered to be redacted. So I apologize, um, but there is going to be a redacted copy of this document in the show notes. So the email accounts linked to Rex were also used to conduct over 200 searches between March 2022 and June 2023 related to active unknown serial killers, uh, the specific disappearances of the murders of Maureen, Melissa, Megan, and Amber, um, and the, the investigation into their murders, the searches or articles assessed um these searches are, and there's a lot of them, and I'll just go through a few of them here. Why can't police trace the phone calls made by the Long Island serial killer? Why hasn't the Long Island serial killer been caught? Long Island killer, top FBI active serial killers, map of all known serial killers, America's top five most notorious cold cases, cold cases, currently active serial killers, Eight terrifying active serial killers we can't find. There are others, but I think you get the idea. 
He was also accessing and searching for podcasts and other documentaries regarding the investigation, hundreds of images depicting the murder victims and members of their immediate families. Uh, Rex searched for interviewed articles concerning the very task force that was investigating him. Um, This document also said that on March 28, 2022, around 9.19 a.m., he searched for the Long Island serial killer and looked at two articles. The title of one of the articles was, um, This Case is Solvable, New Task Force Aims to Solve Long Island Serial Killer Case. And the title of the second article he looked at was, Cops Launch Gilgo Beach Homicide Investigation Task Force. So over the years, I think it's safe to say that Rex kept up with the investigation. So the next section goes into the DNA evidence. Uh, DNA analysis of hairs recovered from the examination of the victim's bodies for Marine. The document says that she was restrained by three leather belts. One tied her feet, ankles, and legs together. A female human hair was recovered from the buckle of one of those belts. On December 18, 2010, it was determined that hair corresponded to a Caucasian head hair fragment. Although this hair was not suitable for nuclear DNA profiling at that time, it was subsequently submitted for further DNA analysis, which I'll get into in a minute for Megan. But it said that she was bound by clear or white duct tape. Also, two female human hairs were found, or sorry, were recovered. One was from the outside of the head area and the other from the tape of the head area. Both hairs were recovered in the vicinity of her head. And I'm sorry, this this document is a little bit hard to read. Punctuation isn't exactly, you know, it's not, it doesn't make for flowing reading material. I hope it's okay. <clears throat> Analysis showed that the hairs exhibited Caucasian European characteristics, but were suitable, or sorry, unsuitable for further DNA testing at that time. The two female hairs on Megan were subsequently submitted for further DNA testing. For Amber, it said that she was bound by three pieces of clear or white duct tape. A female human hair was recovered on a piece of the tape inside of the burlap wrapping in the vicinity of her head. Analysis showed that it had Caucasian or European characteristics. However, it was also unsuitable for further DNA testing at that time. The female hair on Amber was subsequently submitted for further DNA analysis. The female hair on Maureen, Megan, and Amber were all sent to a lab where they used DNA techniques to, or sorry, and direct genome sequencing. So a year ago, on July 22nd, the results determined that each of the hairs recovered on the victims belonged to a female individual um, that belonged to or is found to be similar to that of Rex's wife. So on July 21st, 2022, police recovered 11 bottles from trash in the front of Rex's home and sent them for DNA profiling. Quite a few months later, on February 24th, 2023, it was concluded that one of the DNA profiles generated from the 11 bottles indicated a female belonging to the same mitochondrial group as the female hairs recovered from the three victims, this profile was then compared against the previously tested female hair sample recovered on the remains of Megan, which indicated that both that both belonged to the same individual or somebody closely related believed to be 
uh, Rex's wife, to the exclusion of 99.98% of the North American population from the female hair. The document stated, as previously noted, Rex's wife was out of state at the time of Megan Waterman and Amber Costello's disappearance and murders. As such, it's likely that the burlap material, tape, vehicles, or other items used during the murders came from Rex's home, where his wife also resides, or could have been transferred from his clothing. Um, So next in the document is a review of a male hair linked to Rex during the initial examination of Megan's remains in the burlap material. Police recovered a male hair from the bottom of the burlap used to wrap her. An initial examination revealed Caucasian European characteristics, but the hair was unsuitable for further DNA analysis at the time. And remember this was in 2010. The hair was submitted for DNA analysis on July 31st, 2020, and generated a DNA profile belonging to a male. So following the discovery of the Chevrolet Avalanche registered to Rex and in the investigation of cellular records and other items on January 26th, 2023, a surveillance team observed and recovered a pizza box thrown out by Rex into a garbage bin in Manhattan. Two months later, on March 23rd, a swab was taken from the leftover pizza crust and sent to a lab. A month after that, on April 28th, a male hair on Megan that was found on Megan was sent in for testing a month before Rex was arrested on June 12th, the lab, and it was compared to the male hair found on Megan. I'm sorry. So they got they got a swab from the pizza crust and they took that hair that was found on Megan back when she was first found and it was sent to a lab and it was tested for comparison. And the swab from the pizza crust said that the mitochondrial DNA profiles are the same at a rate that would exclude 99.96% of the North American population from the male hair that was found on Megan. So it is significant that Rex cannot be excluded from the male hair recovered near the bottom of the burlap that was used to restrain and transport Megan's body. At the end of the 32-page document from the district attorney, it had a section for the arrest uh, and search of Rex, his residence, and other locations. So like we said, we know now that Rex was arrested on July 13th, 2023, Searches of his home and other locations are currently ongoing. So in the penalty section of the document, it says, quote, if convicted on current charges, Rex faces multiple sentences of life without parole and remand without bail is appropriate. So they're basically saying Rex should not get bonded out. I think that pretty much covers the highlights of the evidence against Rex Harmon Um, like I said, if you want to read the PCA in full, you can find it in the show notes. But like I said, this, that copy is going to be redacted. Um, so I'm going to put a bookmark in this one. The investigation is ongoing regarding the other six victims. I'll definitely keep you posted on any updates with that. If they're, you know, connected to Rex in any way, which let's be real. I mean, chances are, we talked about it in the Alberta serial killer case. I mean, chances of two serial killers being in the same area. Yes, it's possible, but using the same dump locations 
and the ones that haven't been connected to him weren't wrapped in the burlap. There were differences, but some, I mean, they changed their MO, like we don't know. So if they ever connect any of those, I'll make sure that you find out about it. And I'll also keep you updated on this case as well. I'd like to congratulate everybody in New York and Long Island. Um, this has been a long time coming. There have been so many TV shows and specials and documentaries and podcasts and everything else about this case. And and the public just wanted to know. They wanted to find this guy. They, a lot of people felt like because they were sex workers, the, the police weren't taking it seriously. And I, I can't speak to that. But it is clear that since that task force was formed, um, they've done a bang-up job. So kudos to the police over the past year in catching this guy and putting an end to the serial killer reign. So that's uh, that's it. We hope Bree will be back soon, and uh, we'll see you for the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. Check out our TikTok where you can find interesting photos and content on all released episodes. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Sean. And we will see you on the next chapter. Bye.